Welcome back to Books at Bedtime. Sorry it's been a few days, but uh, had a busy weekend. Um, again, uh, this is just a hobby for me, so I, you know, until I'm getting actual support on this, then uh, it'll just sort of be dictated by the whims of fate upon me. So, all right. Anyway, my name is Tyler, and uh, we are reading The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. If you do want to support the podcast, uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash booksatbedtime, or um, you can go to my Buy Me a Coffee, which is buymeacoffee.com slash booksatbedtime. accidentally kicked something. Uh, Anyway. Chapter 57. Interlude. The parts that form us. Moving slowly, Bast stretched and looked around the room. Finally, the short fuse of his patience burned out. Reshi? Hmm? Quoth looked at him. And then what, Reshi? Did you talk to her? Of course I talked to her. There would be no story if I hadn't. Telling that part is easy, but first I must describe her. I'm not sure how to do it. Bast fidgeted. Kvoth laughed, a fond expression wiping the irritation from his face. So is describing a beautiful woman as easy as looking at one for you? Bast looked down and blushed, and Kvoth laid a gentle hand on his arm, smiling. My trouble, Bast, is that she is very important, important to the story. I cannot think of how to describe her without falling short of the mark. I... I think I understand, Rashi, Bast said in conciliatory tones. I've seen her too. Once. Kvoth sat back in his chair, surprised. You have, haven't you? I'd forgotten. He pressed his hands to his lips. How would you describe her, then? Bast brightened at the opportunity. Straightening up in his chair, he looked thoughtful for a moment and then said, She had perfect ears. He made a delicate gesture with his hands. Perfect little ears, like they were carved out of something. Chronicler laughed, then looked slightly taken aback as if he'd surprised himself. Her ears? he asked, as if he couldn't be sure he had heard correctly. You know how hard it is to find a pretty girl with the right sort of ears, Best said matter-of-factly. Chronicler laughed again, seeming to find it easier the second time. No, he said. No, I'm sure I don't. Best gave the story collector a deeply pitying look. Well then, you'll just have to take my word for it. They were exceptionally fine. I think you've struck that chord well enough, Best, Both said, amused. He paused for a moment. And when he spoke again, it was slowly, his eyes far away. The trouble is, she is unlike anyone I have ever known. There was something intangible about her, something compelling, like heat from a fire. She had a grace, a spark. She had a crooked nose, Reshi. Best said, interrupting his master's reverie. Kvoth looked at him, a line of irritation creasing his forehead. What? Bast held his hands up defensively. It's just something I noticed, Reshi. 
All the women in your story are beautiful. I can't gainsay you as a whole, as I've never seen any of them. But this one I did see. Her nose was a little crooked, and, if we're being honest here, her face was a little narrow for my taste. She wasn't a perfect beauty by any means, Reshi. I should know. I've made some study of these things. Quoth stared at his student for a long moment, his expression solemn. We are more than the parts that form us, Bast, he said with a hint of reproach. I'm not saying she wasn't lovely, Reshi, Bast said quickly. She smiled at me. It was, it had a sort of, it went right down into you, if you understand me. I understand, Bast, but then again, I've met her. Quoth looked at Chronicler. The trouble comes from comparison, you see. If I say she was dark-haired, you might think, I've known dark-haired women, some of them were lovely. But if you, but you would be far off the mark, because that woman would not really have anything in common with her. That other woman wouldn't have her quick wit, her easy charm. She was unlike anyone I have ever met. Quoth trailed off looking down at folded hands he was quiet for a long moment that bast began to f oh for such a long moment that bast began to fidget looking around anxiously there is no sense worrying i suppose quoth said at last looking up and motioning to chronicler if i ruin this as well it will be a small thing as far as the world is concerned chronicler picked up his pen and quoth began to speak before he had the chance to dip it her eyes were dark, dark as chocolate, dark as coffee, dark as the polished wood of my father's lute. They were set in a fair face, oval, like a teardrop. Quoth stopped suddenly, as if he had run himself out of words. The silence was so sudden and deep that Cronker glanced briefly up from his page, something he had not done before. But even as Cronker looked up, another flood of words burst out from Quoth. Her easy smile could stop a man's heart. Her lips were red, not the garish painted red that so many women believe makes them desirable. Her lips were always red morning and night, as if minutes before you saw her she had been eating sweet berries or drinking heart's blood. No matter where she stood, she was in the center of the room. Quoth Front, do not misunderstand, she was not loud or vain. We stare at a fire because it flickers, because it glows. The light is what catches our eyes, but what makes a man lean close to a fire has nothing to do with its bright shape. What draws you to a fire is the warmth you feel when you come near. The same was true of Denna. As Quoth spoke, his expression twisted as if each word he spoke rankled him more and more, and while the words were clear they matched his expression as if each one was rasped with a rough file before it left his mouth. She, Quoth's head was bowed so low he seemed to be speaking to his hands laying in his lap. What am I doing, he said faintly, as if his mouth was full of grey ash. What good can come of this? How can I make any sense of her for you, when I have never understood the least piece of her myself? Chronicler had written most of this out before he realized that Kvoth had probably not intended him to. He froze for a bare moment, then finished scratching down the rest of the sentence. Then he waited a long, quiet moment, before he stole a look upward at Kvoth. Kvoth, sorry, <clears throat> Kvoth's eyes caught and held him. They were the same dark eyes that the chronicler had seen before, 
eyes like an angry god's. For a moment it was all Chronicler could do to not draw back from the table. There was an icy silence. Foth stood and pointed at the paper that lay in front of Chronicler. Cross that out, he grated. Chronicler blanched, his expression as stricken as if he'd been stabbed. When he made no move, Quoth reached down and calmly slid the half-written sheet from under Chronicler's pen. If crossing out is something you feel disinclined towards... Quoth tore the half-written sheet with slow care, the sound bleeding the color from Chronicler's face. With terrible deliberateness, Quoth lifted a blank sheet and lay it carefully in front of the stunned scribe. One long finger stabbed at the torn sheet, smearing the still wet ink. Copy to here, he said in a voice that was cold and motionless as iron. The iron was in his eyes, too, hard and dark. There was no arguing. Chronicler quietly copied to where Quoth's finger pinned the paper to the table. Once Chronicler was finished, Quoth began to speak crisply and clearly, as if he were biting off pieces of ice. So, no, sorry. I skipped a line. Uh, biting off pieces of ice. In what manner was she beautiful? I realize that I cannot say enough. So, since I cannot say enough, I at least I will avoid saying too much. Say this, that she was dark-haired. There. It was long and straight. She was dark of eye and fair-complected. There. Her face was oval, her jaw strong and delicate. Say that she was poised and graceful. There. Both took a breath before continuing. Finally, say that she was beautiful. That is all that can be well said. That she was beautiful through to her bones, despite any flaw or fault. She was beautiful to Kvoth, at least. At least. To Kvoth, she was most beautiful. For a moment, Kvoth tensed as if he would leap up and tear the sheet away from Chronicler as well. Oh, sorry. As, leap up and tear this sheet away from Chronicler as well. Then he relaxed like a sail when the wind leaves it. But to be honest, it must be said that she was beautiful to others as well. Chapter 58 Names for Beginning It would be nice to say that our eyes met and I moved smoothly to her side. It would be nice to say that I smiled and spoke of pleasant things in carefully metered rhyming couplets like Prince Gallant from some fairy story. Unfortunately, life is seldom so carefully scripted. In truth, I simply stood. It was Denna, the young woman I had met in Rowan's caravan so long ago. Come to think of it, it had only been half a year. Not so long when you're listening to a story, but half a year is a great long while to live through, especially if you are young. And we were both of us very young. Ooh, okay, pausing. Um, I actually have a theory about why time seems to speed up. I mean, part of it might be, you know, um, mystical or metaphysical or, or um, subatomic or some other phenomena that we don't very well understand. But uh, part of it, to me, looks like it's probably simply just a, um, what's the word, uh, a relative type of thing. Not as in someone you're related to, but I mean, um, 
relative to your perspective. If you think about the proportion of your life that a year takes up, um, it takes up a smaller proportion of your life every year that you live. So when you are one, one year is your entire life. Um, when you are two, it's half your life. And when you're three, it's a third of your life. When you're four, it's a quarter and so on. If you think about your entire life as a whole, it seems like you've been alive a long time, right? Well, it has felt like you've been alive a long time the whole time you've been alive. And every year seems like a shorter time. Like, oh man, I blinked and it's already been a year, right? Well, when you were young, when you were, let's say, let's say when you were um, 10, when you're 10 years old, um, you know, a month goes by and it takes a while. But when you're 20, a month goes by and you barely no- you barely notice. And then, uh, well, anyway, you get the idea. As you get older, one year makes up less time. And so if you think about, well, you know, this five-year-old has a really hard time waiting for an hour. Okay, well, you're 20. How would you like to wait four hours and have to sit quietly and, and be calm and not fidgety. Well, you know, it's very difficult for someone who's 20 to wait four hours for something or or someone who's 25 to wait five hours for something. But uh, that's that's what it feels like to that five-year-old. You know, they're, they've only lived five years. Time takes five times as long for them as it does for us. So waiting for something might take them a good long while. And so that's it's one of the reasons why it's important to learn to wait for things when you're little, because then you're much better being patient and sticking to things when you're older. Okay, let's see. My uh, bookmark is still delaminating. Okay, let's see, where was I? I caught sight of Denna as she was climbing the final step onto the third level of the Aeolian. Her eyes were downcast, her expression thoughtful, almost sad. She turned and began to walk in my direction, without lifting her eyes from the floor, without seeing me. The months had changed her. Where before she had been pretty, now she was lovely as well. Perhaps that difference was only that she wasn't wearing the road clothes I had met her in, but a long dress instead. But it was Denna without a doubt. I even recognized the ring on her finger, silver set with a pale blue stone. Since we parted ways, I had kept foolish fond thoughts of Denna hidden in a secret corner of my heart. I had thought of making the trip to Anilin, and tracking her down, of meeting her by chance on the road again, of her coming to find me at the university. But deep down I knew these thoughts for nothing more than childish daydreams. I knew the truth. I would never see her again. But here she was, and I was entirely unprepared. Would she even remember me, the awkward boy she had known for a few days so long ago? Denno was barely a dozen feet away when she looked up and saw me. Her expression brightened as if someone had lit a candle inside her, and she was glowing from its light. 
she rushed toward me, closing the distance between us in three excited skipping steps. For a moment she looked as if she would run straight into my arms, but at the last moment she pulled back, darting a glance at the people sitting around us. In the space of half a step she transformed her delighted headlong run into a demure greeting at arm's length. It was gracefully done, but even so she had to reach out a hand and steady herself against my chest lest she stumble into me due to her sudden stop. She smiled at me then. It was warm and sweet and shy, like a flower unfurling. It was friendly and honest and slightly embarrassed. When she smiled at me, I felt... I honestly cannot think of how I could describe it. Lying would be easier. I could steal from a hundred stories and tell you a lie so familiar you would swallow it whole. I could say my knees went to rubber, that my breath came hard in my chest. But that would not be the truth. My heart did not pound or stop or stutter. That is the sort of thing they say happens in stories. Foolishness, hyperbole, tripe. But still... Go out in the days of early winter, after the first cold snap of the season. Find a pool of water with a sheet of ice across the top, still fresh and new and clear as glass. Near the shore the ice will hold you. Slide out fur farther. Farther. Eventually you'll find the place where the surface just barely bears your weight. There you will feel what I felt. The ice splinters under your feet. Look down and you will see the white cracks darting through the ice like mad, elaborate spiderwebs. It is perfectly silent, but you can feel the sudden sharp vibrations through the bottoms of your feet. That is what happened when Denna smiled at me. I don't mean to imply I felt as if I stood on brittle ice about to give way beneath me. No, I felt like the ice itself suddenly shattered, with cracks spiraling out from where she had touched my chest. The only reason I held together was because my thousand pieces were all leaning together. If I moved, I feared I would fall apart. Perhaps it is enough to say that I was caught by a smile. And though that sounds as if it came from a storybook, story it is very near the truth. Words have never been difficult for me, quite the opposite, in fact. Often I find it all too easy to speak my mind, and things go badly because of it. However, here in front of Denna, I was too stunned to speak. I could not have said a sensible word to save my life. Well, Quoth, aside from me, many of the things you have said have done the opposite of saving your life, <laughs> rather jeopardized it, so uh, I wouldn't trust you to say a sensible thing to save your life in any circumstance. Without thinking, all the courtly manners my mother had drilled into me came to the fore. I reached out smoothly and clasped Denna's outstretched hand in my own, as if she'd offered it to me. Then I took a half-step backward and made a genteel three-quarter bow. At the same time, my free hand caught hold of the edge of my cloak and tucked it behind my back. It was a flattering bow, courtly without being ridiculously formal, and safe for a public setting such as this. What next? A kiss on the hand was traditional, but what sort of kiss was appropriate? In Aetor, you merely nod over the hand. Sealdish ladies, like the moneylender's daughter I had chatted with earlier, expected you to brush the knuckles lightly and make a kissing sound. In Modek, you actually press your lips to the back of your own thumb. But we were in the Commonwealth, and Denna showed no foreign accent. A straightforward kiss, then. 
I pressed my lips gently to the back of her hand, for the space of the time it takes to draw a quick breath. Her skin was warm and smelled vaguely of heather. I am at your service, my lady, I said, standing and releasing her hand. For the first time in my life I understood the true purpose of this sort of formal greeting. It gives you a script to follow when you have absolutely no idea what to say. My lady, Denna echoed, sounding a little surprised. Very well, if you insist. She took hold of her dress with one hand and bobbed a curtsy, somehow managing to make it look graceful and mocking and playful all at once. Your lady. Hearing her voice, I knew my suspicions were true. She was my Halloween. What are you doing up here in the third circle alone? She glanced around the crescent-shaped balcony. Are you alone? I was alone, I said. Then, when I could think of nothing else to say, I borrowed a line from the song fresh in my memory. Now unexpected Halloween beside me stands. She smiled at that, flattered. How do you mean unexpected? Sorry, I, uh, I just got lost in memories. She smiled at that, flattered. How do you mean unexpected? she asked. I had more than half convinced myself that you had already left. It was a near thing, Dennis said archly. Two hours I waited for my Savian to come, she sighed tragically, glancing up and to one side like a statue of a saint. Finally, feared with despair, I decided Halloween could do the finding this time and damn the story. She smiled a wicked smile. So we were ill-lit ships at night, I quoted, passing close but all unknown to one another, Denna finished. Fellwards falling, I said, with something that touched the outward boundary of respect. Not many people know that play. I am not many people, she said. I will never forget that again. I bowed my head with exaggerated deference. She snorted derisively. I ignored it and continued in a more serious tone. I can't thank you enough for helping me tonight. You can't? She said. Well, that's a shame. How much can you thank me? Without thinking, I reached up to the collar of my cloak and unpinned my talent pipes. Only this much, I said, holding them out to her. I, Denna hesitated, somewhat taken aback. You can't be serious. Without you, I wouldn't have won them, I said, and I have nothing else of any value unless you want my loot. Dana's dark eyes studied my face as if she couldn't decide if I was making fun or not. I don't think you can give away your pipes. I can, actually, I said. Stanchion mentioned that if I lost them or gave them away, I'd have to earn another set. She t uh, I took her hand, uncurled her fingers, then laid the silver pipes on her palm. That means I can do with them as I please, and it pleases me to give them to you. Dennis stared at the pipes in her hand, then looked at me with deliberate attention, as if she hadn't entirely noticed me before. For a moment I was painfully aware of my appearance. My cloak was threadbare, and even wearing my best clothes I was a short step from shabby. She looked down again and close, slowly closed her hand around the pipes. Then she looked up at me, her expression unreadable. "'I think you might be a wonderful person,' she said. 
I drew a breath, but Dennis spoke first. However, she said, this is too great a thanks, more payment than is appropriate for any help I've given you. I would end up in your debt. She caught hold of my hand and pressed the pipes back into it. I would rather have you beholden to me. She grinned suddenly. This way, you still owe me a favor. The room grew noticeably quieter. I looked around, confused to, th to the fact I'd forgotten where I was. Dana lay a finger to her lips and pointed over the railing to the stage below. We stepped closer to the edge and looked down to see an old man with a white beard opening an oddly shaped instrument case. I sucked in a surprised breath when I saw what he was holding. What is that thing? Dana asked. It's an old court lute, I said, unable to keep the amazement out of my voice. I've never actually seen one before. That's a lute? Dana's lips moved silently. I count twenty-four strings. How does that even work? That's more than some harps. That's how they made them years ago, before metal strings, before they knew how to brace a long neck. It's incredible. There's more careful engineering in that swan neck than in any three cathedrals. I watched as the old man tucked his beard out of the way and adjusted himself in his seat. I just hope he tuned it before he went on stage. I added softly, otherwise we'll be waiting an hour while he fiddles with the pegs. My father used to say the old minstrels used to spend two days stringing and two hours of tuning to get two minutes music from an old court lute. It only took the man about five minutes to get the strings in agreement. Then he began to play. I am shamed to admit it, but I remember nothing of the song, despite the fact that I had never seen a court lute, let alone heard one. My mind was too awhirl with thoughts of Denna to absorb much else. As we leaned on the railing side by side, I snuck glances of her out of the corner of my eye. She hadn't called me by name or mentioned our meeting before in Roan's cavern. Caravan. Not cavern. Goodness. Caravan. That meant she didn't remember me. Not too surprising, I suppose, that she would forget a ragged boy she'd only known for a few days on the road. Still, it stung a bit. As I'd had fond thoughts of her for months, still, there was no way to bring it up now without seeming foolish. Better to make a fresh start and hope I was more memorable the second time around. The song was over before I realized it, and I clapped enthusiastically to make up for my inattention. I thought you'd made a mistake when you doubled your chorus earlier, Dennis said to me, as the applause died down. I couldn't believe you really wanted a stranger to join in. I haven't seen that done anywhere except around campfires at night. I, str I shrugged. Everyone kept telling me this is where the best musicians played. I made a sweeping gesture with one hand toward her. I trusted someone would know the part. She arched an eyebrow. It was a near thing, she said. I waited for someone else to jump in instead. I was a little nervous to step in myself. I gave her a puzzled look. Why? You have a lovely voice. She gave a sheepish grimace. She gave a sheepish... Oh, wow, that's a tongue twister. She gave a sheepish grimace. I'd only heard the song twice before this. I wasn't sure if I'd remember all of it. Twice? Denna nodded. 
and the second time was just a span ago. A couple played it during a formal dinner I attended off in Etnia. Etnia. Goodness, what? God damn it. These names are going to be the death of me. Etnia. A-E-T-N-I-A. Etnia. Are you serious? I asked incredulously. She tilted her head back and forth as if caught in a white lie. Her dark hair fell across her face, and she brushed it away absent-mindedly. Okay, I suppose I did hear the couple rehearse a little right before the dinner. I shook my head, hardly believing it. That's amazing. It's a terribly difficult harmony. And to remember all the lyrics? I marveled silently for a moment, shaking my head. You have an incredible ear. You're not the first man to say that, then I said wryly, but you might be the first to say it while actually looking at my ears. She glanced down meaningfully. I felt myself beginning to blush furiously when I heard a familiar voice behind us. There you are. Turning, I saw Sovoy, my tall, handsome friend and co-conspirator from advanced sympathy. Here I am, I said, surprised that he would seek me out doubly surprised that he would have the bad grace to interrupt me when I was in a private conversation with a young woman. Here we all are. Smi uh, Sovoy smiled at me as he walked over and put his arm casually around Denna's waist. He made a mock frown at her. I scour the bottom levels trying to help you find your singer, while all the while both of you are up here, thick as thieves. We stumbled into each other, Denna said, laying her hand over his, where it rested on her hip. I knew you'd come back for your drink, if nothing else. She nodded to a nearby table, empty except for a pair of wine glasses. Together they turned and walked arm in arm back to their table. Denna looked over her shoulder and gave me a sort of shrug with her eyebrows. I hadn't the slightest idea what the expression meant. Sovoy waved me over to join them and pulled over an unoccupied chair, so I would have a place to sit. I couldn't quite believe it was you down there, he said to me. I thought I recognized your voice, but he gestured, indicating the highest level of the Aeolian. While the third circle provides a comfortable privacy for young lovers, its view of the stage leaves a little to be desired. I didn't know you played. He settled a long arm across Dennis' shoulders and smiled his charming blue-eyed smile. Off and on, I said flippantly, as I sat down. Lucky for you, I picked the Aeolian for our entertainment tonight, Sovoy said. Otherwise, you'd have had nothing but echoes and crickets to accompany you. Then I'm in your debt, I said to him with a deferential nod. Make it up to me by taking Simon as a partner next time we play corners, he said. That way, you're the one to eat the forfeit when the giddy little bastard calls the tall card with nothing but a pair. Done, I said, though it pains me. I turned to Denna. What of you? I owe you a great favor. How can I repay it? Ask anything, and it is yours, should it be within my skill. Anything within your skill, she repeated playfully. What can you do, then, besides play so well that Telu and his angels would weep to hear? Wow, that's a, that's a compliment. Oh, man, the flirting. I imagine I could do anything, I said easily. If you would ask it of me, she laughed. 
That's a dangerous thing to say to a woman, so voice said, especially this one. She'll have you off to bring her a leaf of the singing tree from the other side of the world. She leaned back in her chair and looked at me with dangerous eyes. A leaf of the singing tree, she mused. That might be a nice thing to have. Would you bring me one? I would, I said, and was surprised to find that it was the truth. She seemed to consider it, then shook her head playfully. I couldn't send you journeying so far away. I'll have to save my favor for another day. I sighed. So I am left in your debt. Oh, no, she exclaimed, another weight upon my Savian's heart. The reason my heart is so heavy is that I fear I might never know your name. I could keep thinking of you as Felurian, I said, but that could leave but that could lead to an unfortunate confusion. She gave me an appraising look. Philurian, I might like that if I didn't think you were a liar. A liar, I said indignantly. My first thought in seeing you was Philurian. What have I done? The adulation of my peers below has been a waste of hours. I could, could I recall the moments I have careless cast away? I could but hope to spend them in a wiser way and warm myself in light that rivals light of day. She smiled. A thief and a liar. You stole that from the third act of Deonica. She knew Deonica, too. Guilty, I admitted freely. But that doesn't make it untrue. She smiled at Sovoy, then turned back to me. Flattery is fine and good, but it won't win you my name. Sovoy mentioned you were keeping pace with him in the university. That means you meddle with dark forces better left alone. If I give you my name, you would have a terrible power over me. Her mouth was serious, but her smile showed itself around the corners of her eyes, in the tilt of her head. That is very true, I said with equal seriousness, but I will make you a bargain. I'll give you my name in exchange, then I will be in your power as well. You'd sell me my own shirt, she said. Sovoy knows your name, assuming he hasn't told me already. I could have it from him as easy as breathing. True enough, Sovoy said, seeming relieved that we remembered he was there. He took up her hand and kissed the back of it. Ah, yes, you see, he doesn't want to be upstage on his own date. I, uh, I understand that um, insecurity. Men are very insecure near the object of their desire. I don't really like that phrase, object of their desire. Um, the one they admire, then. We'll say that. Men are often insecure around the one that they admire. Particularly one they uh, are attracted to. There are many kinds of admiration, but uh, the kind you experience on a date is uh, the most... <sighs> I don't want to say unsettling, because that's not the right word, but the one that leaves you the most out of sorts. Okay, let's see. 
He can only, he can tell you my name, I said dismissively, but he cannot give it to you. Only I can do that. I lay one hand flat on the table. My offer stands, my name for yours. Will you take it? Or will I be forced to think of you always as an Halloween and never as yourself? Her eyes danced. Very well, she said. I'll have yours first, though. I leaned forward and motioned for her to do, to do the same. She let go of Sovoy's hand and turned an ear toward me. With due solemnity, I whispered my name in her ear. Kvoth. She smelled faintly of flowers, which I guessed was a perfume, but beneath that was her own smell, like green grass, like the open road after a light spring rain. Then she leaned back into her seat and seemed to think of it for a while. Quoth, she said eventually, it suits you. Quoth, her eyes sparkled as if she held some hidden secret. She said it slowly as if tasting it, then nodded to herself. What does it mean? It means many things, I said in my best table in the great voice. But you will not distract me so easily. I have paid, and now am in your power. Would you give me your name, that I might call you by it? She smiled and leaned forward again. I did likewise. Turning my head to the side, I felt an errant strand of her hair brush against me. Diane. Her warm breath was like a feather against my ear. Diane. We both sat back in our seats. When I didn't say anything, she prompted me. Well, I have it, I assured her, as sure as I know my own. Say it, then. I am saying, saving it, I reassured her, smiling. Gifts like these should not be squandered. She looked at me. I relented. Diane, I said. Diane, it suits you well. We looked at each other for a long moment. Then I noticed that Sovoy was giving me a not-quite-subtle stare. I should get back downstairs, I said, risk rising quickly from my seat. I've got important people to meet. I cringed inwardly at the awkwardness of the words as soon as I'd said them, but couldn't think of a less awkward way to take them back. So Voy stood and shook my hand, no doubt eager to be rid of me. Well done tonight, Kvoth. I'll be seeing you. I turned to see Denna standing too. She met my eyes and smiled. I hope to see you too. She held out her hand. I gave her my best smile. There's always hope. I meant it to seem witty, but the words seemed to turn boorish as soon as they left my mouth. I had to leave before I made an even greater ass of myself. I shook her hand quickly. It was slightly cool to the touch, soft, delicate, and strong. I did not kiss it, as Sovoy was my friend, and that is not the sort of thing that friends do. Chapter 59 All This Knowing in the fullness of time, and with considerable help from Deok and Willem, I became drunk. Thus it was that three students made their slightly erratic way back to the university. See them as they go, weaving only slightly, 
it is quiet and when the belling tower strikes the late hour it doesn't break the silence so much as it underpins it the crickets too respect the silence their calls are like careful stitches in its fabric almost too small to be seen the night is like warm velvet around them the stars burning diamonds in the cloudless sky turn the road beneath their feet a silver-gray the university and imre are all are the hearts of understanding and art the strongest of the four corners of civilization here on the road between the two there is nothing but old trees and long grass bending to the wind the night is perfect in a wild way almost terrifyingly beautiful the three boys one dark one light and one for lack of a better word fiery do not notice the night perhaps some part of them does but they are young and drunk and busy knowing deep in their hearts that they will never grow old or die they also know that they are friends and they share a certain love that will never leave them the boys know many other things but none of them seem as important as this perhaps they are right let us see how long is chapter 60 i'm sorry short chapter oh boy chapter 60 is a long one i don't think we have time for it so we shall have to end there Sorry again for the brief hiatus. If you've been enjoying the show and would like to see it continue with more regularity, please do consider um, supporting me on Patreon or on the uh, or on Buy Me Coffee. Times being what they are, and sometimes can't afford the time required. And I am hoping to avoid the uh, I would avoid ads on here if I could. Fortunately, it's looking more and more like I might have to add them in. In any case, for tonight, we'll end here. Kvoth, having met Dana at last again. Good night.